Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Chapter of the book of Ephesians, beginning with verse 11. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Underline covenants. Covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, thank God that but now, you in Christ Jesus who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood. By the blood of Christ. We've been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were without hope. We were without God. We had no hold on God. The Jews had a covenant with God, but the Gentiles did not. We being Gentiles had no communication with God, but we've been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, he's referring to the blood covenant. When the Father accepted the blood of Jesus and entered into blood covenant with him and the human race, the Father was giving His life to us and every promise and benefit of the covenant is backed up by the life of God. Every blessing, every promise, every benefit of the covenant is backed up by the life of God. Now, we are told in the Psalm 89 verse 34, which is one of our scriptures that we used, you don't need to turn to it. Write it down if you're taking notes. Psalm 89, 34 says, My covenant will I not break, nor will I alter the word that's gone out of my lips. I will not break my covenant. I will not alter the word that I've spoken. When God enters in a covenant, He is not a covenant breaker. He will not break His covenant. He will not alter the word that He spoke. Now, we said that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. When it talks about the blood of the Lamb, it's talking about the blood covenant. We overcome by enforcing our legal rights by the word of our testimony as a blood covenant partner with God through Jesus Christ. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word that's in our testimony. Now, we said a covenant is a legal agreement or contract between two individuals or parties, say corporations, a legal contract whereby they come into a, an oath, an agreement, and of course they have stipulations and promises and benefits and cursings of the covenant. 
But in its simplest form, it's only a legal contract between two parties or individuals that might be binding by their signature, by their name. They may put up some collateral. They may have money to back up, you know, that agreement or that covenant or that contract. But when you add the word blood to that word covenant, what you're actually doing is saying that this contract, this agreement, this covenant is backed up by life itself. When God entered into covenant agreement with the human race, He was saying that the word I've spoken, the covenant or the contract or the testimony that I have made is backed up by my very life. Every promise, every benefit is backed up by my life. Now, we are to consider the New Testament to be, just as the name implies, the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His last will and testament. When somebody dies and leaves a will or an inheritance, you know, through their uh, last will and testament, then... It must be enforced by the individual who's going to receive the inheritance or he's not going to enjoy the benefits and the promises of that inheritance. Let's look at Hebrews, the ninth chapter, begin with verse 15. And we'll see to it, according to the Word of God, that we enjoy our benefits and our promises as a blood covenant partner that has obtained an eternal inheritance by legal... Action, legal action. Verse 15. And for this cause, he, that's Jesus, Hebrews 9, 15, is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Okay? For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. The testament does not have any force so long as the testator is alive. Look at the next verse. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, without life. There was a life that backed up the first covenant, the first testament. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood there is no remission." It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Under the first testament, the blood that was shed was the blood of goats and of bulls, animal sacrifices where the high priest entered into the holy of holies in the earthly tabernacle and made sacrifice for those so that their sins could be forgiven or covered. But in the heavenly holies of holies, the blood of animals, goats, and bulls, those sacrifices would not be sufficient. They would not be adequate for the Father to cleanse the heavenly utensils of worship. So Jesus did not enter in by the sacrifice of an animal 
He entered in by his own blood. His own life is the guarantee of the covenant. And when he entered in, the Father accepted that blood, meaning he wanted to and was willing to accept that blood sacrifice and enter into a covenant relationship with the human race through Jesus Christ. And when he sprinkled that blood over the heavenly utensils of worship, man then was freed and justified by the blood of the Lamb. Now, let's read on. For Christ, in verse 24, is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He's entered into the true tabernacle, which are the figures of the true, but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself as it is appointed, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Once Jesus died, the new covenant went into effect. The last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ came into being. It was in force. Once he died, and once the Father accepted that blood, the new covenant, the new testament, has been in effect. Now, we need to realize that this new testament is exactly what it implies. It is a covenant agreement, the last will and testament. It is the will of God in our lives. It was His will. The Father, in His sovereignty, chose to enter into blood covenant relationship with the human race through Jesus Christ. Now, it's very important that we reiterate a few points. First of all, number one, we said that there are certain reasons why people would want to enter into blood covenant. And remember, when we say blood covenant, we are talking about something stronger than a contract signed by someone's name or signature. We said it's backed up by the life of the covenant heads. An example, if two corporations are going to come in, they're going to merge. And they're going to come into a covenant agreement. A blood covenant agreement. Okay? The covenant heads have got to realize that if they come in a blood covenant agreement, then their life is the guarantee that that corporation will run as it's supposed to according to that legal contract or the covenant head must die. You see? It's not that he's going to lose the business like they are today. When it's a blood covenant, they die. You lose your life. You will not break one word of that contract or you will die. Blood covenant. So, in the reasons why people would want to enter into blood covenant, you can see number one would be to ensure trust in that relationship or in that business partnership. To ensure trust. Okay. To ensure trust. There's not too many blood covenants around today in corporations. They may have a contract, but not a blood one. So you see, if it's in blood, it means their life is at stake. Okay, number two, love is another reason. In a wedding ceremony, the two that come together, they make their vows, they go into covenant relationship with one another. She takes his name. They become one. They come into an agreement because they love each other. So they make that covenant union with one another. And then number three, safety. If we have two nations, one is stronger, one is weaker. You have two tribes. One is stronger, one is weaker. The one tribe 
needs to be in covenant relationship with the other tribe because they don't want to die. So what they do, they may have something to offer. Maybe they have food or money or something that this other tribe could use. So the two covenant heads get together and they make a blood covenant agreement, meaning that their life is behind this contract or this union. And so they go into covenant relationship. It then ensures safety and protection, the weaker from the stronger. All right. Now, the blood covenant is the highest known agreement in the human race. There cannot be a stronger, more binding union or more binding agreement than a blood covenant agreement. It is so highly respected that it's not known that one blood covenant agreement has ever been broken. Not one. If it did happen, then the covenant head would have to die. He would have to give his life. Meaning that even the family members would see to it that that person died. Their own kin. That's how binding and how highly respected this covenant agreement is. Okay. Now you think about all that. And let's very quickly run through a covenant, blood covenant agreement and how they would perform it, a ceremony. First thing that they would do, the two covenant heads would get together. They would bring their friends. They would bring a priest. They would gather together in one place. And the first thing that they would do, they would either take off their coat or they would bring a gift and exchange gifts. This was saying, all that I own is yours. And all that you own is mine. Or my life is yours and your life is mine. They would then proceed to slice the wrist or the palm of the hand. And then the blood would drip into a cup of wine. In that cup of wine, the priest would stir it. The blood would be mingled. Then they would drink of that cup. And it was symbolic of their lives were being mingled together. And each party would take of it and drink of it. Then they would put their wrists together or their hands together. And then they would lick the wound. Now, this is where cannibalism came in to, to being. This is not allowed in the Word of God. The Bible clearly teaches us we are not to partake of blood, the blood of a human being. It's not allowed. It's not lawful. But that's how they did it, and that's how cannibalism came into existence in the being, through blood covenant relationships. They tasted of that blood. Okay, now here they are. They put their wounds together. They are becoming blood brothers. Then they get some substance like gunpowder or something, and they rub the wound with that gunpowder or whatever they have to use. And it, when the wound heals, it leaves a, a black mark under the skin or on the palm, the wrist of the palm of the hand. And it, it, it serves as a memorial that they are in blood covenant. They can see that mark there, and they realize that they have a blood covenant partner somewhere. Then after that is done, they would sit down to what is called... Well, they would first of all pronounce the blessings or the cursings of the covenant. In other words, what happens if you keep it and what happens if you break it? A blood covenant, death would be the result of breaking that covenant. Now, after the pronouncing of the blessings and the curses, they would sit down to what is called a covenant meal. They would have bread, they would have wine. Now, this is very important. 
they would first take that bread as covenant heads and receive the bread. Now remember, we do this in the Lord's Supper. They would take that bread and it would be symbolic of my life or I am becoming what you are and you are becoming what I am. Now you stop and think about Jesus when he, at the Last Supper, broke bread with his disciples. He was, took up that bread and said, I am becoming what you are so that you could become what I am. I am becoming what you are. You are becoming what I am. It was an ex- absolute exchange of lives. He was exchanging his life for you, and you in turn are to exchange your life for his. He was becoming what we are so that we could become what he is. Then they would take the cup, and they would drink of it, saying that my blood is flowing into your blood, and your blood is flowing into my blood. At the Last Supper, he took the cup. And it's the same thing. He's saying that my blood will flow into you and your blood will flow into me. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. A transfusion takes place. Meaning, my life is being poured out into you and your life is being poured out into me. That's what these two covenant heads were doing. Now, with these thoughts in mind, with this historical background, let's go to the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter, and let's begin to look at some of these awesome facts and realities that surround the first covenant. Remember we said there are two covenants, the covenants of promise. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. The most awesome thing about this covenant relationship is the fact that the instigator of it was God Almighty Himself, the Father God, the Creator of the universe. Wanted to enter into a covenant relationship with man. Let's, let's look at verse 1. 17 chapter, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. El Shaddai is the Hebrew rendering. I am El Shaddai, the God of plenty, the God that's more than enough. I, that's who I am. And he says to him, Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant, I will make my covenant with, between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. It is God the Father, the El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough, it is his desire to have a covenant with this man named Abram. All right, now think about it. Why would God want to enter into a covenant relationship with a man? What does a man have to offer God? Well... The Father in His program wanted to destroy the works of the devil in the earth. But He needed an avenue into the earth. He had no legal access into the earth. He needs a man that will yield his life fully to Him so that He could use that life to bring in the seed, Jesus, through David, so that Jesus could come and fulfill the everlasting covenant between God and Him. All right? So Abraham here has something to offer, his life, an avenue, a vessel, so that God can use him. But remember we said some things here. There's a two-sided thing here. What does God have to offer to Abram so that Abram would want to enter into this relationship? He just told him, I will be to you the Almighty God. I will be to you El Shaddai. And over in 15th chapter, look at the 15th chapter, verse 1. 
He says to him, After these things came the word of the Lord unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I will be your shield, your exceeding great reward. What an offer. The Almighty God, the God of the universe, the God of all gods is saying to a man, I will be your Al Shaddai, your own personal God. I will be to you a shield. I will be your protection. I will be to you your exceeding great reward if you will enter into covenant with me. What an offer. I'm not talking about going and merging with uh, General Electric or Westinghouse. We're talking about going into covenant agreement with the Almighty God. Well, Abraham got a little stingy. Look at verse 2. Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Say, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. And tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. Here is a man who is beyond age of bearing a child. Here is a woman who is beyond the age of bearing a child. And this God who is making this great offer to this man Abram says, I will cause you and your wife to have a child and to have children that the, you can't even number them in the stars of the sky in the sand and the sea by the seashore. If you will come and serve me. That is an almighty God. He's going to make that old body be renewed with youth so it can bring forth a child. And it won't be this here, Ishmael, but it's going to be Isaac out of her own loins. Now, you think about it and this offer that this man is being made by God. And here in the next verse, we have his response. He was told to walk sincerely, walk uprightly, be thou perfect before me. And if you'll do that, he said, then this is what I'll do for you. See, they're going... To make a covenant. Okay, now look at verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. And he believed in the Lord. Circle the word believed. He believed the Lord. The word in the Hebrew carries the fullest meaning of the word believe. This word believe means a loving trust. A loving trust. Give yourself wholly up. Give yourself wholly up. A loving trust. Give yourself wholly up. Be a part of himself. Go right into him. When it says Abraham believed God, here's what it was saying. Abraham made an unqualified committal of his whole life. What he was, what he is, and what he ever will be. He's making an unqualified committal unto God that I am going right into you. I am yours and you are mine. That's what Abraham was saying. When it says he believed God, that's exactly what he was doing. He made an unqualified committal of his life to God. I am yours in fullness. My, my whole being. In other words, Abraham, Abram at this time, Abram made a self-denunciation of life. He abandoned himself unto God. Isn't it amazing that in covenant talk, Jesus said, if a man will be my disciple, let him first what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial. Self-denunciation. 
No longer me. I am yours. I am you. I belong to you. Well, that's exactly what this man Abram was going to do. In verse 7, here we find out that the Lord says there will be an inheritance for you if you will do it. Well, he, Abraham believed God. He was counted for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the year of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. Circle the word inherit. He's going to give this man an inheritance. He's going to give him the land, the land that floweth with milk and honey. Well, in the next verse, verse 8, Abram wants an assurance. How will I know, he said. Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Remember our scripture that said, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the word that's gone out of my mouth? Whereby shall I know, not think, not maybe, not might? How will I know? I must know beyond question that this is my inheritance. All right, now listen. He's talking about the seed. He's talking about his son. And all the blessings and the promises up into the land and in the land. How shall I know? Abram's going to die before the full manifestation of it. He's going to die. He wants to know beyond question, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that when I die, I know that you will carry out that word. How will I know? Well, here's the awesome thing right here. God the Father, Almighty God, El Shaddai, the God of the universe, proceeds in verse 9 to cut a blood covenant with a man named Abram. He says, get me a heifer. Let's read it. Verse 9. He said to him, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece against one, uh, another. But the bird divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto him, notice this, Abraham is in a deep sleep. He's in a deep sleep. He's laying down in a deep sleep. But in verse 13, God begins to speak to him. God begins to speak to him over here as he's in this sleep or trance, whichever you want to call it. But he's asleep, but God begins to speak. It's in the Spirit that this begins to take place. Hold your place there in Genesis. And very quickly, look at two scriptures with me. Galatians, the third chapter. Find it very quickly. Chapter 3. Begin reading at verse 6. Here, the Apostle Paul is reiterating what took place with Abraham in this covenant union. And he says in verse 6 of chapter 3, book of Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or imputed to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Next verse. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, God preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. God preached the gospel. Look at something else that will reaffirm this. John 8, 54. John 8, John's gospel, 8th chapter, verse 54. When did God preach the gospel, as we know it, unto Abraham? 
Where did Paul get that revelation? Do we have another scripture that will confirm this? Let's look at John 8, 54. Here we have Abraham in a deep, Abram in a deep sleep. God speaking to him, saying unto him about the seed and about the inheritance. 54. Paul just said that God preached the gospel unto Abraham. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying, Your father Abraham. Look at it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Jesus. When did this happen? Well, let's go on. And he saw it, and he saw it, and he saw it. Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad. Look at it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then said the Jews unto him, You're not yet fifty years old. How, has, how did you see Abraham? Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham even was, I am. I am. He's talking about being the God of all the universe. And before Abraham even was walking on the earth, I was in existence from the beginning. Okay, now here, two scriptures. God preached the gospel to Abraham. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad about it. Now we go back. Go back to Genesis. Here we are. Abraham is in a deep sleep. God moves upon him. He begins to speak unto him the same thing that Paul said in, in this... This verse 13. And he said unto him, Abram, Know of a surety, of a surety, absolutely, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land. And he goes on to explain about what's going to happen to this covenant nation, Israel. But go on down to verse 17. Have I given this land from the river of Egypt under the great river, the river Euphrates? Here's what happened. They got together as covenant heads. They came to a place of agreement with the covenant and all the clauses. They invited a friend. Who was that friend? Jesus. Jesus was the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. As he fell asleep, Jesus came. The Father, the Son, and you know the Holy Ghost was there, spoke unto Abram, and showed him the gospel. Showed him the sacrifice of Jesus. In the Spirit, preached the gospel unto Abraham. Abraham accepted it, was circumcised. God's blood was substituted by the animals. And in covenant relationship, it's, it's customary that they sometimes substitute animal blood for humans. And so God's blood was in, substituted with the blood of the animals and Abraham's blood was mingled from circumcision. Go to 17th chapter, verse 10. Verse 10. This is my covenant, my covenant, that you shall keep between me and you and your seed after thee. Every man among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt you and me. Okay? His blood then would be mingled with the blood of the animals. 
there would be a mixture of the two bloods. This would be symbolic that God's life is in the blood of the animals. His life is in the blood of circumcision. This is the covenant agreement. Blood stands behind that agreement. They are both offering their lives to one another. And verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house, or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh is of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken the covenant. He has broken the covenant. He has no part in the covenant if he doesn't obey the clauses, if he's not circumcised. So now think about how awesome this is. The God of Abraham, or the God of the universe rather, is entering into a blood relationship with a man, a blood relationship offering his life to be Al Shaddai, the God that's more than enough, and Abraham offering his life to be an avenue whereby the Messiah could come into the earth. Sealed by the blood. But there's another step that we need to bring out. Look at the 6th verse of the 17th chapter. 6th verse of the 17th chapter. 5th and 6th. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will... Make thee exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of thee and all kings shall come out of thee. Okay, now listen. God's name up until this point is Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. That's the only name they knew for God. They changed it by adding syllables to Yahweh. But they did not even want to pronounce the name of God. It was too sacred. It was too holy. So they just... He was Y-H-W-H. In the Greek rendering of that, it's, it's Jehovah. That's where we get Jehovah. But it's Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, in the Greek, Jehovah. But the name of God with the H in it, an H was taken out of the name of God and put into Abram, and so we get Abraham. And in the 15th verse, look at the 17th chapter, the 15th verse, God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Take the I out and add the H. The God of all the universe, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, who is only known as the God of all the universe, up until this point, took a letter of his name out, inserted it into Abram and into Sarai, and we got Abraham and Sarah, meaning that they were blood covenant people. But the awesome thing about it, most awesome thing about it, is that this God, who was the God of the universe, the God of creation, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Jehovah, whatever you want to call Him, that's all He was referred to, now has taken on Himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not only just God, but He's the God of Abraham. He took Abraham's name and inserted it into His name. He's been referred to from that day on as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Can you imagine the honor bestowed upon a man that God would call Himself by that man's name? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. 
Other people could call him God of the universe. Rahab the harlot called him, he is the God of heaven and the God of all the earth. But Israel can say, and Abraham can say, he is my God. He is our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Israel, in the 81st Psalm, verse 10, don't turn to it. Israel, he appeared and said to him, to them, I am the Lord your God. And this is what it means. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I am the Lord your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And when he took on this covenant people, when he gave birth to the covenant nation, this is what he was saying to them. As a mother bird who has little babies with a big beak, little frail body, no strength, can't possibly, you know, feed themselves, protect themselves, care for themselves, no way of being filled. As a mother bird comes and fills that mouth up to give food, to see to it that that baby can grow, God, the Almighty God, said, I am the Lord your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will be a mother bird to you. I will take responsibility of you, for I am the Lord your God. I know you've got a frail body. I know you don't have any strength in yourself, but I am taking the place of a mother bird. I will be your covenant-keeping God. I will fill you with myself. That's what, the, that's what God was doing. That's what He was saying to this covenant people. So they could say that He is the God of Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of our fathers. The other gods, Egypt, they had their false gods and images. The Syrian people had their false gods and images. All the other people had their, you know, gods and images. But this God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think about that. No longer is He their God, but bless God, we have a covenant, a better covenant, established upon better promises. He is your God. Say that with me. He is my God. He is my God. He is my God. He is my God. That's who He is. If you're born again, you're a child of God, He has become your God. You are in covenant relationship, covenant agreement with Him. Now, let's go to the third chapter of the book of Galatians. Third chapter of the book of Galatians. And you will recall that blessings and curses were pronounced in covenant agreements. Blessings and curses would be pronounced. Well, in the third chapter, verse 13 and 14, 13, 14, Galatians 3, 13, 14, Christ hath redeemed us from the, what? Curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of who? Blessing of who? Galatians 3, 13 and 14, that the blessings of who? Might come on who? In other words, there were curses and there were blessings. The curse was of the law. We're not going to get to the law yet. The law was added. We're going to get to the law maybe next lesson. Blessings of Abraham might come on us. Abraham was blessed with some blessings, many blessings, for going into this covenant agreement. But you can see the magnitude of this union. You can see the magnitude of this agreement. You can see the responsibility God is putting on a man. You can also see how awesome it is that God would even think about in, you know, a covenant with a man. So what God did, He proved the faith and obedience of Abraham by asking him to do something. Let's go back to Genesis 22 very quickly. Genesis 22. 
to do something that would prove that he as a man would not turn back from the covenant. He would not break that covenant. Even though he was a man, he had to prove to God that he would not. This is an awesome thing. This is opening up an avenue whereby God could send his son into the world to redeem mankind. Okay? Here in the 22nd chapter, verse 2, he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. He's going to offer, he asks him as a covenant head to offer his only son. Two things here. Offer your only son. That's one. Your only son. God so loved the world that gave his only begotten what? Offer your only son, Abraham, as a burnt offering. Burnt offering. Now that's very important when we get to the covenant meal. When we, when we see that Jesus was our burnt offering. You go to the book of Exodus and the Passover, the lamb had to be a burnt offering. And he was the only begotten son. Okay, Isaac is told by this covenant-keeping God to offer up Isaac on the altar of sacrifice to slay him and offer him a burnt offering unto this God he's in covenant with. Abraham was not saddened. He was not disheartened by it. He was rejoicing in it. He knew some things that as a covenant agreeing partner, he knew that God had to raise up Isaac from the dead in order to keep his word. If he didn't do it, God would become a liar and God would have to forfeit his life as a covenant-keeping partner. I'll show that to you in the Word. Verse 5. On the way up to the mountain, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and will worship and I'll come and, and, and come again to you. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Now, wait a minute. He's going up there to kill him. Why is he saying, you stay here, I'm going to go up there and worship and come back? He knows that God has got to raise him from the dead. He has a surety. He has a guarantee. He's got a blood covenant relationship that through this seed, Jesus preached to him. The Father by the Spirit showed him the gospel that through Isaac would the whole world be blessed. And so Abraham knew that, that God had to raise him from the dead. I've got to share the scripture because you may not know this. Hold your place there very quickly. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verifies this. It tells you exactly what I'm saying. Chapter 11, book of Hebrews, the faith chapter, verse 17. Everybody have it? By faith, Abraham, when he was tried or proved by God, offered up Isaac, his only begotten son. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. As a man, he was willing to offer up his only begotten son. As a covenant partner, he would go to the extreme in that covenant union to offer a life. He offered his life to God. That was enough. But God wanted more. I want you to offer a more precious life than your life, a life that's more valuable to you, the life of your son. This is beyond the call of duty. This is beyond the expectations. 
of a covenant agreement. But he says, I'll do it. I'll do it because if you don't raise him from the dead. He never saw anybody raise him from the dead before. If you don't raise him from the dead, you become a liar. And look what it says right there. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Verse 18. Now look verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham accounted that God had to raise him up from the dead if he killed him. Look at the next part. From whence also he received him in a figure. That's what Abraham was meditating. He received him already raised up in a figure. He saw himself go on that mountain. He saw himself kill his son. He saw him light the fire. He saw him offer him as a burnt offering. And there in dust and ashes, he saw God raise him up out of death. I receive him up from the dead right now before I ever go out there and do it. Go back to Genesis 22. Now, this is prophetic. Verse 7. Uh, let's 6. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it up upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself. God will provide himself. That's prophetic. God did provide himself as a burnt offering. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went up both of them together. And they had come to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know, I know. See, Abraham said, How will I know that I have an inheritance? Now, God is saying, how will I know, Abraham, that you'll keep the covenant? Look at this. And he said unto him, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son from me. If a man would go to the extreme of offering his only begotten son, there's no other way he's going to have another son. He's he's 100 years old now. Under God, to keep a covenant, union, intact, then God the Father would give His only begotten Son and would be, actually, He would be bound by this covenant agreement to send forth the Son. And He says here in uh, verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and, and looked and he behold... Uh, he behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that name. See, he offered up a burnt sacrifice, a substitute. And Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh. It is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. You've got to hear this. You've got to receive this in its fullest light. Abraham... Abraham was there, and again the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, himself, and said, By myself have I sworn, he's quoting God, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, there's no curse in Abraham, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, 
And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Abraham was obedient unto God. God was bound and swore by himself, there's no other life greater than he can swear by, that he would bless Abraham and do what he said he would do in the covenant. And now Abraham's blessings are whose? Whose? They're ours. God has got to now send a Savior to the world. He's got to send a Redeemer to the world. Because if a man would do it, offer his only son for him, God has got to respond by covenant law agreement to offer his only son for us in exchange. This is how God saw to it that he knew Abraham would keep the covenant. Now, the blessings and the curses were pronounced from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim, they, they pronounced the blessings of the covenant. Mount Ebal, they pronounced the curses. Remember we said that the priests would then pronounce the curses before the covenant meal? Well, they would pronounce the blessings. They would pronounce the cursings of, curses of the covenant. Now, after Abraham's death, um, they were not, the Israelites were not keeping the covenant. They broke the covenant. And so let's very quickly look at Galatians, the third chapter again. We went there. That's where Abraham's blessings are. And here you'll begin to see this in, an, in another light. Galatians, the third chapter. That the law was added to the covenant until Jesus would come and fulfill the covenant between God and Abraham. Now, we read verse 13 and 14. That the, verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and his seed is of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant, which was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the promise be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Okay, so the law was added to the covenant because of transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. They were not keeping the covenant. Remember they were called covenant breakers. God called them stiff-necked covenant breakers. Okay, because they weren't keeping it, they had the law given. It was added to the covenant, but God couldn't change that covenant because his partner was dead. He already died. Abraham was gone. He couldn't change that covenant. He added to the covenant the law, which would be a schoolmaster and teach them until Christ should actually come so that they could have forgiveness of, you know, forgiveness of their sins until Jesus would come to actually fulfill the new covenant. Well... There's so much more here right now that we can get into. But let's just read the end of this chapter so that we can get a little bit of insight as to what is going to come up. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. 
Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We don't need the law. For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. Seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are in Christ. We're Abraham's seed. We're heirs according to the promise. When we pick it up again, we're going to see how the law was added. We're going to find out how the law served uh, in three different categories. The Pentateuch is, is the law of the first five books of the Bible. Three different categories, how the law had to teach them. of There was a social law, a moral law. And it would teach them, you know, what they should do, what they should not do, what commandments they should keep or what they should not keep. A schoolmaster to direct them unto the time that Christ would actually come. But uh, I don't want to go any further right now because there's just too much to get into. But you are heirs according to the promise. God is in covenant agreement with man. He makes this covenant. It's a blood covenant. We've got a better covenant. But under this covenant, Abraham's blessings are ours. All that God offered him have become ours. We're blood covenant people. And the Father is obligated to carry out those promises and those benefits or his life. You think about that. That's awesome to say that. But his life stands behind and is the guarantee. Remember over there in Hebrews where it says Jesus is the surety of a better covenant. He's the guarantee. He guarantees that this covenant is good. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.